to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Cameron Howard. And I'm Eric Bredo. And joining us today is Professor David Lose, who holds the Marbury Anderson Chair of Biblical Preaching here at Luther Seminary and is the author of Making Sense of the Cross. Welcome, David. Thank you. Excited to be here. So thanks, David. Uh, big topic on hand, especially as we're leading up into the season of Lent and Easter. What does the Bible say about the cross? And you give us, I think, a really great glimpse into the many ways the Bible seems to answer that question. So where do we start? How do we start thinking about what the Bible says about the cross? I think a, a, one way to recognize is that it says a whole lot of things. And I mm-hmm. touched on the four Gospels very briefly, and anyone yeah. that's read them will, will know that there are all kinds of gaps and holes and more you can say. Yeah. Sure. But uh, but we didn't start with Paul. Um, we didn't talk about similar themes that are across the, the canonical mm-hmm. witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just part of where we start, that the Bible says a whole lot of things about the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, the one thing we know is that whoever's speaking, it's at the core of why they're speaking mm-hmm. and witnessing to begin with. Yeah. Particularly in the New Testament, the whole story shaped around this unexpected, um, horrific yeah. event that then somehow early Christians gather around first in kind of disbelief and wonder, <laughs> yeah. but then also an increasing conviction that whatever happened there, God surprisingly, unexpectedly was yeah. at work for the care of the whole world. It has to must have been this profoundly confounding experience for the early church, one that I think might have been dulled some, somewhat through all this time. The cross itself was this kind of symbol of, of shame, of, of oppression, of... Of, of Roman power, and then to have a group of people rally around this symbol as um, a central symbol, a central moment, a central event for them is um, a really difficult move to make. And I wonder sometimes if that's part of the reason we have these so many different voices. It was such a confounding and yet pivotal event that one story can't quite capture it. Well, Paul will talk about it as foolishness, and there is right. this kind of absolute absurdity, and, and it's not the perfect analogy, but it's... But come to a modern context to say, you know, imagine someone who's on death row and mm-hmm. been executed by the state. Uh, and then a group of people start saying, hey, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> that was the Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. He was a king. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. And then and then within a generation, you have this person's followers wearing, you know, uh, an electric <laughs> chair around their necks or, or, or a, a lethal injection or a gas right. chamber or something like that. That's, I mean, that's the kind of absurdity, the foolishness, as Paul talks about it there. Yeah. You know, in Isaiah, in the what we've called the suffering servant songs, we get the first glimpses of this idea that someone might be glorified in suffering. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, there's such an emphasis on this anointed character being a great king and winning great military victory. And so it gives us a start when we're reading Isaiah 52 and 53, for example, and we read about this bloodied and broken figure who um, seems to be achieving some sort of great victory in that suffering. I think those kinds of stories uh, in Old and New Testaments they are jarring and surprising. And I think what they do is invite us to imagine the possibility that, that all too often we conform God or expect God to conform mm-hmm. to our notions of what works or what is right. Mm-hmm. And so in a world where typically might makes right, mm-hmm. we measure success 
with these, or faithfulness as success, or have these kind of markers of achievement that are all in one way or another something you can count and about power. Um, those voices just are arresting because it seems like God is 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 acting and being in a whole nother way. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly things like reign of God or the kingdom of God, you start getting a sense of, oh, this isn't just like more of the same, but mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. This is something mm-hmm. totally different mm-hmm. where, in fact, vulnerability isn't weakness. It's this profound strength. Right. And that suffering uh, can be redemptive in a way that power, military victory never could be. Right. Um, yeah. And there's a solidarity to it. So I think about Luke's gospel in particular and the way that Jesus dies there and the, the refrain over and over again that Jesus is innocent, that he has done nothing deserving of this, and yet he dies on this cross. Um, and that in that way, I think in Luke's gospel, it's interesting because then Jesus isn't, in a sense, unique. He's not the only person who suffered uh, under unjust situations, under oppression. There's a sense of solidarity that Jesus walks alongside has experienced in his own body um, that injustice. And when the people see what happened, they go away beating their breasts. They go away mourning what they've seen, even though it's, again, not the first time they've probably seen it. And I wonder if that's part of what Luke wants us to do, is to look at the cross and say, this shouldn't have happened, and it shouldn't happen when it happens in our world all the time, even even today. Well, it's one of those little uh, details. So Matthew, mm-hmm. Mark, and Luke all have a, a word from the centurion Right. Mark and Matthew follows Mark so closely. It's surely this one was the son of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Mark, that disclosure of you know here here's where you find the son of God. Mm-hmm. Especially and in Mark, when nobody else seems to know who Jesus right. is, <laughs> except <laughs> the centurion at the cross. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, disciples have some work to do. That's right. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> in Luke, it's that's one of those subtle shifts. Yeah. It's surely this man was innocent. Mm-hmm. And so in one sense, he is absolutely no different than all of the innocents before mm-hmm. and after who mm-hmm. have been trampled mm-hmm. by an unjust system. Mm-hmm. At the same time, God raises this one from right. the dead. And, and in there, I think that issue of is this, this part of what Luke's up to, mm-hmm. is that the promise to all who suffer mm-hmm. and suffer unjustly, that in yeah. this one, you all will be raised. Right. It, it is powerful, and it's what's fun when you listen carefully instead of sort of needing to fit it all together. Yeah. Right. And in that context where oppression was so rampant and the powers of the empire were so, um, well, powerful, um, the the idea that that um, those who have suffered and been oppressed might win, might mm-hmm. have a power that is greater than the conquerors, mm-hmm. um, is really really profoundly moving. Yeah, yeah I think it, it it's. It's, I think it's right at where the power of the cross is. Um, that, and it's something that I wonder if we need to retrieve as believers. Um, so often, at least in the church I grew up in, you would think that the church, uh, that the Bible, especially the New Testament, spoke with one voice about the significance of the cross. Uh, your your book, David, and your article today, and what we're talking about suggests that that's it's many voices trying to speak into this one event. Um, talk a little bit, David, about you know what's what's out there. What do people kind of usually believe about the cross and where is it that we can learn something new and maybe have our faith transformed by seeing the cross in a new light? You know, I think up front, I want to say I'm really sympathetic to wanting to hear kind of one story. It's yeah. Most of us, 
if we work with the Bible at all, we know, for instance, that infancy narratives in Matthew and Luke are mm-hmm. very different. Mm-hmm. And yet on Christmas Eve, it's really nice to hear kind of the whole story. That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. That sense of, of what it is. And we do yeah. the same with the cross. So on Good Friday, we often have the blended readings. And there's something kind of holistic or satisfying mm-hmm. about that. At the same time, when you pay attention with one, you gain this whole other appreciation of a distinct story that has a particular vision or mm-hmm. message to offer. And so you yeah. solidarity with those who have, have been abused and are innocent or marked with those who feel absolutely at their wit's end and desperate. And so Jesus' cry of despair, mm-hmm. suddenly you imagine, wow, Jesus understands what that's like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or John's almost superhero-ish Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Action mm-hmm. figure Jesus yeah. on the cross yeah. <laughs> needs no help carrying it. And, yeah. you know, I just kind of imagine him sort of hammering his, his own nails, right. <laughs> hammering his own nails. And yeah. There's this great um, old English poem, "The Dream of the Rude." Have oh, yeah, you read this? Yeah, like, and he actually puts himself right, on the cross, pretty much. Right. Yeah. 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 Very Johannine. Yeah. Yeah, and and there are times in your life where. Where you f- you're right, what's in a different way, and don't need someone who understands you, but can yeah. promise this will not be the last word mm-hmm. in, in a word. And so I think that kind of variety of mm-hmm. voices, if you can tolerate some of the ambiguity, then all saying the same thing, mm-hmm. then invites mm-hmm. you to imagine at what times in the, in, in a, a Christian's life mm-hmm. or the church's life or Peter's mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. would those stories play powerfully or yeah. or help them see God in the way they need to see. Now, it creates confusion, though, too. And I think Certainly. part of the reason we have so many understandings of what the cross means, what we'll sometimes talk about as theories of atonement, is because there is no singular vision in the Gospels or in Paul of, mm-hmm. of this is the cross fully explained. It's, mm-hmm. it's, and stories are always like that. Yeah. I mean, stories right. try to communicate truth narratively, but then they demand a certain level of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's both the power of a story yeah. But also the limitation. We'll keep mm-hmm. talking about it and arguing about it because that would be a whole other podcast. We yeah. could do a whole hour on this. Sometime. Actually, I think yeah, we should do that one of these. Sometimes. Do you know the the Pentateuch it, it is very similar in the way that it presents different voices? But it's striking to me that it's it's different in that those voices have already been woven together into what tries to be at least a consistent narrative rather than getting these sort of parallel presentations as we get in the Gospels. But I think it's just further testimony to that um, that notion that stories, and even in the case of the Pentateuch, laws or the story of the giving of the law is presented in multiple uh, memories. Um, mm-hmm. Walter Brueggemann uses the phrase imaginative remembering, which I like to think about. You know, the, We have this sort of shared narrative, but we all approach it and tell it in different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And so, too, when we tell our stories, the mm-hmm. stories of the church, the way God has worked in our lives today— we may all have some very similar uh, or equal overarching themes, but we mm-hmm. tell the story of our relationship with God in yeah. different ways. In a sense, maybe like the cross isn't just a past event. The cross is this kind of weekly, daily uh, moment for, for believers that we constantly have to read and reread, interpret and reinterpret. And as our lives shift, uh, the perspective that we have on the cross might shift as well. And we need other tools and other biblical stories to help us see it in a new light. It also invites us to think again about where do we see cross and resurrection mm-hmm. in yeah. our mm-hmm. lives and our community lives. Yeah. And how does that shape the way we imagine our 
calling as an individual Christian or as a community of faith, um, we you know, we don't think twice about the cross. It's it's jewelry, yep. it's decoration, it's right. symbol, it's tattoo, it's everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I sometimes wonder when we lost that sense of scandal or that jarring reminder that God is in weakness. Um, has to, as we forget that or lose our memory of that, do we move more toward a more power-centric mm-hmm. sense of church? Do we start mm-hmm. measuring ourselves by attendance or the size of our building or mm-hmm. endowment? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've wondered at times, as, as the church in this territory diminishes, not just Minnesota, <laughs> <laughs> right. America, wherever, yeah. right. diminishes, will, will we reclaim elements of that? Mm-hmm. And Andy Root, mm-hmm. our colleague, and um, his book, Promise of Despair, invites us to imagine that the cross is an invitation to meet Christ by bearing each other's burdens, mm-hmm. to taking mm-hmm. on each other's suffering, mm-hmm. which is a very different way th- of thinking about witnessing mm-hmm. than sometimes has been offered. But again, that's the power yeah. of the cross. It trips us up and invites us into a, a new imagination. Yeah. Right. And I think what we sometimes need is a way to kind of unlock ways we might, we might see the cross and resurrection everywhere we turn. That there might be, as we're watching the evening news and seeing um, people suffer, people suffer under oppression, we might be able to see little Jesus all over this world and not look at them just in, in pity and say, that's too bad, and then flip the channel. But to wonder, how is God moving in a place like that? And where is the power of God becoming present in the midst of that suffering? Thanks, David, for this. This is a, a huge topic. We probably could have talked for another couple of hours, but... I don't know if our listeners could be that patient with us. Thanks, uh, thanks for spending time with us. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.